0: Well, we're beginning at the beginning today in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. There's lots of famous verses in the scripture, John 3:16, "For God so love the world, but you know the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want." Psalm 23, but then there is also this short little thing that most of us know by heart and have known most of our lives, which is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we tend to think that uh, this belongs kind of in the background of the Christian faith. And yet I hope to prove to you this morning that the creation of the world, the creator God, is a distinctly Christian doctrine that no other religion on the earth has it, and that it infiltrates every single aspect of our lives and of our faith. So I'm going to read... Just the first few verses of Genesis 1 as we begin to look at this book of beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Let's ask God for his blessings this morning. Father, we ask that your spirit would be with us, that he would enlighten our eyes and our hearts and our minds to know you as our creator this morning. Thank you. In Christ's good name. Amen. In the beginning, God created. This, as I said in short in the beginning, is a universal truth that is solely belonging to the Christian faith. That there is a creator God who made all things apart from himself. All other religions, including the closest to creation, which would be Islam... All other religions have sort of an emanation or a God is everything, God is everywhere, pantheism, panentheism sort of idea. Even Islam, which has a very close sort of relationship uh, to our creation account um, of what God did in the beginning. Uh, Allah, in the Islamic faith, created more out of a force of his own will than anything desired within himself. And so Allah really is more of a force than a person, and so when you think of it like that and you begin to read some of the Islamic scholars on it, most of them, well, I won't say most, a good number of them on the papers that I have read on their creation, how they understand it to have come to be, believe in a sort of emanation, that Allah was just there and creation just kind of came out of Him. and so therefore they're all kind of part of Allah. This is very similar to all the Eastern religions and most mythical religions like uh Um, Native American religion where nature is all of one with us, with God. We're all kind of swimming around in the same pool of stuff. Christianity and before that Judaism, which we are the, the succeeding religion of Judaism, we believe that there is a very distinct line that God is the creator and we are the created and everything else with us. We are distinct amongst creation as the imago Dei, the image of God, the bearers of the image of God. But we are also completely distinct from God. We are not part of Him in some piecemeal way. He is distinct from us. And you can think of it sort of like this if everything that has ever been made was contained in this book, okay, it would sit here. And the Creator would be over here, completely distinct. There is no overlap in substance, essence, reality. This idea of a distinction between the creator and creature permeates everything, everything about our faith. We often think about doctrines that differentiate us between other religions, and we usually start with this Jesus, the Son of God, or the Trinity, And those are both true and those are both distinct. The virgin birth, distinct. The death of our God on a tree, distinct. The resurrection of our God from the dead, distinct. But also the creation of all things, distinct. And we know this because the testimony of Scripture everywhere applies it. Consider this. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah. Was given a task to go to Nineveh. Decided to do away with that task. Gets on a ship bound for Tarshish. Big, great big storm gets hurled up by God, the Creator. And he, Jonah's asleep. They go and wake him and they say, hey, pray to your God. Maybe he will still the waters. And they ask him who, who he is. Right? Who are you? Where do you come from? Who is your God? And this is how Jonah answers them. And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That distinct to Yahweh is the creation of all things. And you think about this. If you know anything about any other world religions, if you know anything about the Greek gods or the Roman gods or Native American gods, any sort of thing like that, they have a God for every little thing. The God of the trees, a God of the wheat, a God of the harvest, a God of the moon, a God of the sun, a God of the this, a God of the that, blah blah, blah blah blah. No other, no other religion says there is a God who made it all and it belongs to him. We are unique in the world. And what does that have to do with anything, right? Well, it's, again, like I said, everywhere in the Christian faith. It's the beginning. It's the end. It's the middle. This is how Jesus is introduced by John the Apostle. It may sound familiar to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, does that sound familiar to something I just read? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void and without substance. And the darkness hovered over the deep, and the spirit hovered over the darkness of the waters. And then God spoke into the darkness and said, Let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. And here, Jesus made everything that ever was. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, Jesus created. And then God spoke into the darkness with his Son, the Word. The Word spoke into the darkness of sin and death and destruction and was a light shining in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That everywhere, everywhere, the creation of God is assumed. And not just assumed, but as is a rock solid piece of foundational theology to everything we think and believe. Consider also the fact that when we are become Christians, we are called new creations, new creatures. Behold, all things are being made new. In the end, when all things are done, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. This is all through the Bible. Every sort of thing you can think of is linked to it. Sin. Think of this. Psalm 51. Famous Psalm of David after the sin with Bathsheba. In sin did my mother conceive me. He's talking about original sin. Adam and Eve. Creation. What happened at the fall? In sin did my mother conceive me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Why does he say that? We know he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and Uriah's men and against the man he commanded to put Uriah at the front of the battle and against himself and against his sons and against his daughters and against the whole nation of Israel. He committed a lot of sins against a lot of people. And yet when he confesses it, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. Why does he say that? Because at the end of all things, all sins are against our creator God. He owns us. He made us. We are His. Uh, This morning, Sarah, you were playing, uh, You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. That's from Isaiah, quoted again in Romans. We are God's. When we sin, we sin against him every single time because we are his creation. He has complete ownership of us. There is no one else under heaven by which we must give an account except for to him. Sin is linked to creation. Comfort, over and over and over and over again, you hear things like this. Don't I own the cattle on a thousand hills? And would I not give one to you if you were in need? Don't I care for the lilies of the valley and look at how they are clothed? Don't I care more for you than for the lilies of the valley or the sparrow in the field? God is saying, I created everything and I care for you. Comfort. Think of the power that God has that he would say to us, you are mine. I care for you. In the psalm that I read this morning, Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you have any thought to him? You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. What works are those? What dominion do we have? That's the creation mandate. He says to Adam, Adam, he says, the whole earth is yours to have dominion over. And it's the work of God's hands that we're given dominion over. God says many different ways, many different times, that he is the God who created all things and therefore he does not tire or get weary. And so when we are tired and weary, we can find our rest in him. He is our fortress against the waves because he made the waves and can still the waves. The answer to Job, when Job is at the end of life, despair, despairing of everything, wishing himself never to have been born, calling out to God, God's answer to Job to silence him. To put him in his place, to humble him, is where were you when I hung the Pleiades? Where were you when I said to the oceans, this far and no further? Where were you when I made the the great beasts of the sea? Where were you when I did all of these things? Answer me. And Job is humbled before his God. Matthew 28, the end of Jesus' ministry, right? Right? How does, it, how does it go? We, we tend to remember parts of it. But do we remember the whole thing? Here is the final words of God, the Son, to his people. Now the eleven disciples went on to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven And on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Why do we have the task to go and make disciples of all nations? Why do we have it? Because he is Lord of all creation. He has all authority over all things because he made them. They are his. And so when we go out with the gospel, we don't go out with a whimper and a cry. We go out with power. God has given all authority to the Son and we go out with authority to the creation to call it back to Him. Right? Romans 8, which we read this morning in our, after our confession, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor any such thing nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No created thing Nothing can separate us. How does God know that? How can he give us that promise? Because he made it all. He is far superior in power and might and glory than anything that has ever been made. And so how could any of it stay his hand? Keep him from doing what he wants to do, which is to redeem his sons and daughters for glory. When we doubt our salvation, when we wonder, did Jesus really come? Do I really believe He has all power. Nothing can separate you. No created thing. Nothing stands between him and his will. He will do it because he has the power. Isaiah chapter 45. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord, Yahweh, who does all these things. When we tend to think that God is not involved, it's where we need to focus our whole energies to know that he is the creator and sustainer of all things. What we tend to do when calamity strikes is to say God was not here during that He had no part of that. Our God wasn't here. But if we have a God who is absent, if we have a God who isn't there in the midst of calamity and who furthermore isn't the one directing calamity, then we have a God who is not all-powerful and omnipotent. We have a God who doesn't see everything. We have a God who doesn't have the power to override and overcome anything because somewhere something stayed his hand, blinded his eye kept him from doing but no, that's not the God that we serve. Many times in Scripture it is God who is given the final ultimate say and authority because he is the creator of all things. Job says this, shall we not receive good from God and also evil? Exodus says this, why are men born blind and lame? It is the God it is that God does this and he also brings us down to the grave? That all of these things, all of this trouble and calamity, where we want to say there is no God because we have small faith, needs to be opened up into the faith that God is directing, commanding all things for eternal glory, for his purposes. And we have bedrock, solid ground to stand on, that even in the midst of the worst sorts of calamities, that we have a God who is unchangeable, unbreakable, and all-powerful. This is a doctrine, the doctrine of the creation of all things by God that is intrinsic and powerful. It's found all over the pages of scripture and I would challenge you this week, open your Bibles, pick any two or three pages, any, anywhere you want to go and see if this idea that God made all things and keeps all things isn't present. It is a bedrock truth. Because if this isn't true, if God is not the almighty, omnipotent creator, Lord, maker of heaven and earth, as we had Brian and Elizabeth oath to this morning, that we say when we recite either the uh, Apostles' Creed or the Athanasian Creed, Lord, maker of heaven and earth, if that's not bedrock, then we have no hope that Jesus can do anything. If he is not the one who creates calamity, then what hope do we have? If he is not the one who resurrects from the dead out of the greatest calamity that's ever happened on the face of the planet, the the killing of the Son of God, and he was not directing that for the salvation of his people, then we have a God who was just kind of hoping things would work out. But we don't have a God who was kind of hoping things would work out with his Son. We have a God who absolutely marches through time To accomplish his purpose. And his purpose is the salvation of his people through his son, Jesus Christ. And he will do it. Why? Because nothing on earth or below the earth, in heavens, nor principalities, nor powers, nor any other created thing can stay his hand. This is our absolute answer. Reading this week... um, the sermon that John Calvin preached on Genesis 1-1 was very interesting. Um, We tend to think that everything that we have now is new, science-wise and that sort of thing. But John Calvin lived in the mid-1500s. And we tend to think that the modern uh, evolutionary look at how the earth and all the things in the universe were created was novel and new at the time of Darwin and later. That basically there was like... Nothing, and then something, and then something bumped into something else, and then it created everything else, and they kept bumping into each other until finally evolution happened and everything came to be. John Calvin talks about that theory in 1550-ish. and He says it's utter nonsense, this idea that everything bounced around in space and collided together to create these things. That if we don't have a God who made it, then we have nothing else to believe in. This is exactly how the writer of Hebrews puts it as well. Hebrews talking about faith, right? Talking about what it is to believe. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old have received their commendation So we tend to think of faith and hope to be solely about Jesus, hoping in the the future glory that awaits us if we believe in him. And it is that. But behind that, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That if we have hope in the future of things we can't see We have to have faith that God made things that we can see out of nothing. That they're intrinsically linked. That God the Creator and God the Savior cannot be separated. We cannot have one and not the other. We cannot have God a Savior if He didn't create. And we cannot have God the Creator if He doesn't save. They're intrinsically part of one another. Because God is one, He can't be divided. We often demand answers that we have no answers to. And this is really where our sin of not being humble before God, our creator, really strikes the most. So I've talked about a lot of ways that the creator-creature distinction, the idea of God, the maker of all things, is helpful in the Christian faith. And this is how oftentimes we rebel against it. We want to know answers to questions that are unanswerable. When did God make the angels? Books upon books and articles upon articles and hours upon hours of debate. When did God make the angels? When did Lucifer fall? We don't know. We don't know. Who are the demons? We don't know. We have ideas, we have thoughts. We have clues in Scripture, but nothing concrete. What is the final hierarchy of angels? There is one, and that's about all we know about it. There are archangels, and there are regular angels, and there are seraphim and cherubim. How they all relate to one another, we don't quite know. But we'll spend a lot of time arguing about it. Do we have our own personal angel that watches over us over all of our lives, or multiple angels that watch over us all of our lives, or all the angels watch over all of us all of our lives, boy do we have some debates about that. People get angry about that. There's no perfect explanation of any of that. And instead of focusing on the fact that God the Creator made all things, we get bound up in trying to answer questions we don't know and can't know because they belong to the Creator. They are his. He knows them. And we do not. And we will not. Because here's the distinction. If we knew all those things, who would we then be? We would be God. And we are not God. And yes, we will know more fully, right? That's what 2 Corinthians teaches us. We will know more fully when we see him face to face. But we will not totally know everything, we can't know everything. There are secret things that belong to God and to him alone. What is the power of his word that made light come into existence? We don't know. Why are some elect and some not? Why was man created first and not women? What, why does it matter? And over and over again in the New Testament, we learn that the order of creation actually does matter. Jesus talks about ordered creation. Paul talks about ordered creation. And the fact that the reason we have this or that rule which we don't like is not because we just made it up. It's because Adam was formed first and then Eve. There are all sorts of things in Scripture that we rebel against because we don't like the answer or we don't know the answer. And so we think if we don't understand it, it can't be. And that is us not being humble before God our Creator. It's not being humble, and we know this intrinsically. So let's pretend you're back in high school, okay? Let's pretend you have decided to enter into calculus class as a sophomore. It's a senior class. You've decided, I know enough. I don't need all the pre-calc stuff. I don't need to know any of that. I'm going straight to the good stuff. I'm going to go to calculus class. So you sign up. They somehow let you buy, And you go to that first day of class, and the teacher puts some ridiculous function on the board. And you go, oh, I know they answered that. And the teacher looks at you and says, I'm just going to use me because I would be that kid. Um, Joe, you don't know what that is. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I've done stuff like that before. Because thinking back, I'm like, hey, listen, I bought, like, CD-ROMs back in middle school about how to do calculus and I looked at them over the summer because I was that sort of a kid. I know it doesn't show now, but that's the sort of thing I was into. So I know how to do calculus and yeah, just let me go at it. I'll, I'll figure out this function. No problem. I would do that sort of thing. And what would be the result? What do you think would happen if I were to do that? Do You think I would get the right answer? Probably not. Do you think I'd be super self-assured going up to that blackboard? Yeah what do you think the teacher would do? Sit back, probably. Mrs. Brennan was my calculus teacher. Mrs. Brennan would sit back, I'm sure, and smile and nod and go, good job, good job, that's not quite it, but thanks for trying. And she would, be, she would actually mean it because she was actually a nice lady. I would be very sarcastic and go, oh, good job, buddy, you almost got it there. But she would mean it. She would go, good job, that's a nice try. And then she would come up and show me how it's done. And anyone observing that Would think, what an arrogant little punk. What an arrogant little kid. Thinking he knows how to do something he's never learned before. Pretending he's going to teach the teacher something. We know arrogance when we see it. But we rarely think that we have it when it comes to our Creator God and the knowledge that He has that we will never attain to and that is not ours to know. It's not ours. But we do it all the time, not even just with God. How many of us think we know more than our mechanics about our car, our plumbers than about our plumbing, our electricians about our electricity, our carpet cleaners about our carpet, our mattress makers about our mattress, our sofa makers about a sofa? We, we have in our head this idea that we know better than everybody about everything. If I was in charge, you know, they would make popcorn actually pop all the way in the microwave. It wouldn't be such a big deal to have all those unpopped kernels. It can't be that hard to figure out. Purdue claimed to have done it ten years ago. Why isn't it in my microwave bag now? Where's Orville Redenbacher when you need him? We think this sort of thing all the time about a thousand things that we, we know we don't know. We know we don't know these things. We are so quick to look at God and say, Why? 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 I would do it different. You don't even know what you're doing here. I would never allow such a thing to happen. And we do that a lot in our hearts and our minds whenever calamity strikes. And so instead of being humble before our Creator God, we're arrogant before our Creator God. And so this is our final lesson then, as we begin to look at the beginnings. We don't know everything, we will never know everything. You will never know everything. I will never know everything. But we do know some things. Because scripture is quite clear on them. And to those things we should submit. Not thinking we know better than God. And on things that God has not revealed, we should be humble enough to keep our mouths closed. To not go where he has not spoken. To not say, I'll figure it out where you haven't spoken. We do this often with many different things. He is the creator, the maker, the sustainer. He is completely different than you and I. He is not like us. We are in his image. We are not his image. We are in his image. There is only one, only one image. We are image bearers. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our prophets, fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There is only one man who is the perfect image of God, who knew all things and laid them aside to die for us. Let's be humble. Let's be a people who are humble, who actually come to God in humility and prayer and say, God, I cannot, I don't know, I don't understand. And God says, I hold all things in the palm of my hand. And let that be our rock. We are not our own. We are his. He made us. He owns us. He will keep us to the end if we love him. Amen? Let's pray, and as I pray, you stand, and we will sing number 147 together.